Hello and welcome to Map Bites episode 34. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. And in this episode we discuss how to speed up your podcasts, manage your default apps and how to quick look zip files. But first, we've been away and we've got two weeks to catch up on. We certainly have. And uh, Bento 3 snuck up on us, didn't it? And I think there was some confusion with that. Yes, Bento 3, the launch that never was. Um, It was very strange. Um, I noticed it just appeared on Mac Update with no mention from FileMaker, but it was the real deal and um, it took 24 hours for the marketing department to catch up with the engineering department. And uh, yes, it was real and all was well. Uh, Previously, I didn't upgrade from Bento 1 to Bento 2. Um, I did buy Bento 1 and I did use it, um, but the upgrade policy struck me as a little harsh. Uh, There was no upgrade pricing. And you could say, well, that's only what Apple do with iLife and iWork. But the difference with Bento was, one, there's only one application rather than a whole suite of them for a similar price. Um, But there was only eight months between the release of Bento 1 and the appearance of version 2, which I thought was a bit quick. And it also wasn't, there wasn't really enough additional features to make the whole thing um, a full point upgrade to me. Um, What did happen was it got very annoying uh, when I elected not to upgrade to version 2 when the iPhone integration was added because it was only added to version 2. But by then, I'd waited long enough thinking I was going to wait for version 3 that I wasn't going to be persuaded to buy version 2. But uh, it seems they've learnt their lesson and there is now an upgrade path uh, for $20 or £10 rebate for previous owners. And it's not just version 2, it's also version 1. So uh, I will buy version 3 just for the iPhone syncing, if nothing else. Yeah, I've never actually used Bento. I've built plenty of databases over the years using stuff like Access, SQL and even DataEase and DBase if you want to go back that far. But they were all in a corporate environment or for websites that we run. And I can't really think of many uses for a database at home that a spreadsheet couldn't satisfy. True. Um, For me, the ability to transfer to the iPhone in a format that you can actually see without pinching the zoom to death in a spreadsheet is probably going to be the deciding factor. Yeah, that's probably the killer feature for me that uh, will probably tip me towards it. Well, one thing I did notice was it got its usual positive review in Macworld. Um, They have given Bento a positive review every time. Now, version one was something new in terms of it was at least um, a commercial database for the Mac that was affordable. FileMaker is very nice, but very expensive. Um, So I could see a positive review for that. But when version two came out, they didn't really mention the negatives, which were the lack of features to the update, um, the price of the update and the fact there was no um, update path and how quickly it came. They didn't really mention that. So um, I had a read of the review and and it's extremely positive um, to the extent I'm wondering if Macworld have got shares in FileMaker. You've got to wonder, haven't you, really? You do. It was that positive. Yeah. Well, another nice update that came out this week was ITV 3.2 and the ITV iPhone app, which lets you stream your ITV to your phone. Uh, It's a pity it needs Wi-Fi, as otherwise I could uh, spend my lunchtime watching Neighbours and Jeremy Kyle. Um, Actually, it doesn't need Wi-Fi. Um, It needs Wi-Fi for live TV. But you can watch uh, recordings as long as you prepare them correctly 
uh, which you can have it do automatically and they will transfer over the cellular network and I've tried it. The picture is obviously much much better on Wi-Fi but I did actually manage on 3G to um, stream a 3 gig file and uh, it looked all right. It wasn't too bad. Great, so I could record Neighbours and Jeremy Kyle and watch them the next day. Yes, if you really wanted to. Mm, no, it's just just an examples. Not my, my not my tally watching uh, programs. Basically, as as you say, it serves as a mobile extension to the Elgato desktop ITV app. So it lets you watch live TV, lets you do things like change channels, watch your recordings, browse uh, a program guide, start your recordings back home on your Mac, or schedule them later, and uh, also view and edit recording schedules. You will need the ITV 3.2 uh, installed on a Mac and you'll need a compatible TV tuner connected to it as well. well one thing I have actually done, I have used the uh, remote scheduling. Um, I have been uh, around the house, so not actually sat with my computer. Yes, it does actually happen. Sometimes I'm not sat in front of it. And um, I have been able to schedule programmes to record. So um, that has proved very useful. And you can do that, of course, remotely as well over the 3G network. Mm, sounds great. So I could be out walking the dog and uh, schedule neighbours to Jeremy Kyle. I'm, I'm getting very worried about your TV watching. So am I, but uh, what I actually did is I went onto the programme guide and I just saw what was on at lunchtime because, you know, lunchtime's my own. I can't be saying that I'm watching TV during working hours. I yes. don't actually watch. Yeah. Maybe best avoided, I think. Anyway, on a related note, you actually got an email to remind you to renew your uh, TV TV account, didn't you, which came in German? Um, I, I did. Um, it is a German company, but um, I'm convinced in the past I have had emails in both languages, but this one was solely in German. I didn't get another email in English, um, so I thought, well, OK, I've got the gist of it. I'd forgotten it was due, but I think it must be due. So um, I, I went to Babelfish, which did come to the rescue. It was pretty accurate. So um, I clicked the link in it, which was to a store. I could see that much from the link. Uh, and that was German as well completely German. So um, I, I wasn't doing too well at all there. Even though my profile's in English um, and I couldn't find a link to the English site from the site that they'd sent me to. So uh, I did have to play around a bit and in the end I did find a link to it. But I decided I would wait un until the actual day that it was due to renew it because there just wasn't enough information about whether it would go from the day you paid and not the day that you renewed. Um, I think Which it'd be one? nice if if they notice that your profile is said, you know, English, that they actually sent you an email in English. That would be most helpful. That would be good, but, uh, you know, good practice for you, German. I don't speak a word of German, sadly. If it was in French, I might have stood a little bit of a chance. But the German, I just looked at and thought, hmm, Babelfish. So uh, luckily it wasn't too bad. Usually you do get something that um, it doesn't resemble an email at all, but it, it was uh, close enough that I got the gist of what it needed. So um, I, I was able to sort that out. But uh, I think that's pretty bad for myself. And uh, another thing that appeared on the iPhone after what seemed like an eternity waiting was Dropbox. And uh, I'm certainly using Dropbox more than ever, uh, mainly with a lot of shared application settings. And um, I did try it with the phone and I was very impressed with the speed of it. 
Yeah, I've been using Dropbox a lot more too, mainly for transferring files between home and work. And it also means that I can uh, view and show presentations on the phone. If I stick them up in the Dropbox, I can actually uh, display them live on the phone. What I do like is that favorites feature, which will download it onto your phone. And that way where I don't have a signal, and there are places at work where I don't have a signal, I can still uh, view my content. Now I've not had to do that because uh, I'm usually in Wi-Fi range. Um, but I think I'm going to probably upgrade to a 50 gig account, maybe even a hundred, splash some mm. money around. Yeah, we're actually relying more and more on our phones, aren't we? Uh, not particularly as a phone for the functionality, uh, but the, the, what the apps give us. Uh, but one, one story this week, um, it looks like uh, some developers are taking advantage uh, with an iPhone loophole. And the story goes that apparently a few days after purchasing the Swiss app, which is called Mogo Road or Mogo Road, which is a free radar tracking application, users are reporting receiving telephone calls asking them if they'd like to purchase the full version of the application. Now, uh, when asked how the caller had obtained their number, the responses varied, but generally the person tells you that Apple sent their number to them at the time of purchase. Now, obviously, this is not the case, as Apple don't forward any information on its customers to third parties. But uh, Mac Forever, which is the site that reported this, uh, did a little bit of testing using the latest iPhone SDK and discovered that it's extremely easy for a developer to send a user's uh, phone number to their servers without their knowledge. In fact, the whole has actually been around since the uh, 2.1 firmware update. That, I think, is diabolical. And uh, if they ever ring me, they're going to get an earful, uh, just like Vodafone did. Yeah, but you used to have the perfect get out of jail free card with Vodafone because they didn't have an iPhone. I know. Uh, I'm going to have to tell them that I'm using a Zune and I don't want to switch. What? So you'd admit to using a Zune? You'll be admitting to using, <laughs> using Windows next. No, no, no. I don't use a Zune. They don't even sell them here, do they? Mm. Talking of which, globalisation. Even Amazon are realising that there is life beyond the US because uh, they are now allowing the import of Kindles. But... Uh, I knew there'd be a but. Ah, uh, yes, but not at Adobe. Twitter was alive with all my uh, user group manager contacts. I'm an Adobe user group manager. And uh, all my contacts from Adobe were announcing the proud arrival of new baby Photoshop.com app for the iPhone. Oh, I thought, cool. Yeah, I've got an account, got pictures up there. So I click the link and what do I get? A curt message telling me it's not available in the UK. So really just one response to that. Why not? Now, I know there is a geographic limitation on Photoshop.com or Photoshop Express as it used to be known when it was launched. Um, and to be honest, that's also not cool. So um, there is a link where you can go and see um, a website, which is mobile.photoshop.com slash iPhone. And uh, there's a pretty picture of an iPhone. And um, on said iPhone, there's a pretty picture of the app. And that's as far as you get. Yeah, it's a bizarre decision, isn't it, on their part? It is. And uh, while I'm at it, the use of a flash sign-in box on photoshop.com is even worse because it doesn't work with one password. So major fail all round there, I think. Yeah, big failure. Anyway, in the uh, in the last episode, we were discussing iTunes, and something that I've been looking at is how to play podcasts at different speeds. 
Now, you may be wondering why. Well, I subscribe to quite a few podcasts and my listening time is limited. So I found that the double speed option on the iPhone is great. And I actually find that most podcasts can be played at double speed without uh, what I call a pinky and perky or helium effect. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, when you listen to something at double speed, it's, it usually sounds like uh, somebody has got helium coming out of their mouth and it's... It's really high pitched, uh, but it doesn't actually ha- it doesn't actually happen that way. Um, so you can still actually understand what's being said. Sometimes I listen to podcasts at home, um, and I tend to use iTunes to do so. I don't know why; it just seems logical to me to use the phone when I'm out and the iMac when I'm at home. So I was thinking it would be good if iTunes had the same functionality as the phone, but uh, of course it doesn't. And it seems that I'm not the only one who wants this functionality, according to the forums and the websites that I've been reading. Anyway, I did find a script that picks up the currently playing podcast, picks up the current position in terms of time, opens QuickTime Player and plays it in that using double speed. And by editing one element of the script, you can actually change the speed. So, for example, you could have it at one and a half speed. Now, I'll put the link to that on the show notes. But what I did is I copied the script into the Apple script editor and saved it to my uh, library iTunes scripts folder inside my home folder, which is where my other iTunes scripts are. But when I tried to run the script, I got an error which said expected class name, but found identifier. Now, not being an Apple programmer, couldn't really do much about that but further investigation actually revealed that several people have been unable to use this script with Snow Leopard. However I have found a couple of solutions. The first one's a bit convoluted and what you do is you right click on the podcast in iTunes and select show in finder. Then when the finder opens right click on the file and select open with QuickTime Player 7. Now that assumes that you have got QuickTime Player 7 installed. In QuickTime, if you select Window, Show AV Controls, what that does, it displays the AV Controls palette. And on this palette, there is a playback speed slider control. So you can select to play the podcast at anywhere from half speed to triple speed. You do realise, don't you, that by the time you've done all that, I've listened to the podcast at normal speed and I'm on to the next one. You know, I knew you'd say something like that. (laughs) Carry on. You always like to rain on my parade, don't you? If it makes you happy. Well, in addition to podcasts, the uh, playback speed slider also works for normal music and videos as well. So uh, if you want to listen to... um... The Gumbe Dance Band at triple speed, then you could do. Oh my God. You'll be frightening the listeners. And you do realise anybody who's listening at this podcast at double speed will have just got that at six times speed. Mm. Mm. That'll stop them doing that, won't it? <laughs> now, if you're using Snow Leopard and you didn't install QuickTime 7, be aware that in uh, QuickTime 10, notice I'm calling it QuickTime 10, not QuickTime X. I am. The AV control palette isn't actually there. However, if you click the fast forward button once, the speed changes to two speed. Click it again, you get four speed and click it again, you get eight speed. 
and doing the same with the rewind button plays the track in reverse at the appropriate speed. It reminds me of one of those cryptic messages they put, used to put in Prince records. Yeah, can you play them backwards as well? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can actually. But oh, I use no. the rewind button, it, it plays it backwards. <laughs> if you want to play it at normal speed, uh, you just click the play button. Anyway, whilst this works, it's obviously not as flexible as the options that you get in that uh, AV control panel in, uh, in Leopard. But if you hold the option key down before clicking either the fast forward or rewind button, the first speed you'll get will be 1.1. And then each subsequent click will increase the rate by 1.1 up to a maximum of 8 speed. I've lost the will to live. The only downside is that whereas you can actually look at that slider control and see the current setting, with QuickTime 10 there's actually no visual indication of the current speed. Now, the second solution is a script from Doug's Scripts, which is Snow Leopard compatible, but I didn't find this until after I found that first solution, and that first solution seems much more fun to try anyway. You've got too well, much time on your hands. No, it's all research for the show. Hmm... Good way to while away Sunday afternoon, isn't it? This script simply yeah, opens up the single selected audio or video track in iTunes using QuickTime Player and opens the AV controls so that you can then select the required speed. I'll stick a link to the script in the show notes for anyone who might be interested. Cool. And um, while you've been rabbiting on, listen to what I've made. Oh no, I've made a monster, haven't I? Afraid so. You shouldn't tempt me with these things, you see. I'd have been completely oblivious. Anyway, I've had my own problems. Snow Leopard's been driving me mad this week. Yeah, from the mutterings I've been hearing, Snow Leopard's been driving you mad for about five weeks, hasn't it? So, is this Snow Leopard in general or something specific? Well, it's specifically how it's deciding which applications to use to open my files. Um, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. That's about right, I reckon. No, seriously, um, I know they've changed the rules, but even knowing um, what the new rules are, it's still very inconsistent. Um, previously, it used an application-specific code, called a creator code, to bind a file to the application that created it. And I found that worked very, very well. Um, it was quite flexible. So you could have the same file types opening in different applications depending which application you'd use to create it. And like I say, it used a creator code to achieve that magic. And to me, coming from Windows, I did find that magic. It meant that I could have some um, JPEGs open with Preview, others open with Photoshop, others open with Fireworks. It was great. Now, obviously on Windows, that was one size fits all um, and the file extension trumped everything else. So it depended on the file extension and you could um, you could change what handled a file extension, but it was all or nothing. And um, switches and anybody who wanted to have that Windows way implemented on their Mac, well, you could still assign a file extension to a specific app if you wanted to. But the problem in a nutshell is now... Um, an application running under Snow Leopard cannot use a creator code to bind a document to itself. So, for instance, I use several different text editors. Yeah, as many text editors as you have browsers. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but it's horses for courses depending on what I'm doing. So um, with BB Edit, I've got lots of 
panels and pallets and all sorts open all over the place. I usually have files open as well and a lot of the time they are um, I'm opening them from FTP. So when I open BB Edit it can take a few seconds while it sets everything up. So if I just want to edit a quick text file I might use TextMate or even TextEdit. Um, and previously, each file that I opened would know which application had made it, and that's the application it would have used to open it. But what's happening now is, irrespective of which text editor I use to make my text file, uh, when I double-click on them, they are all being opened by TextEdit. Yeah, now you mention it, I've had problems with like that, but I've not worked out why. Well, that's the thing. I've rebuilt so many machines with Snow Leopard and reinstalled so much software in the last five weeks that I really hadn't thought about it too much and I've still got more to go. So um, I wasn't actually taking that much notice because what I was thinking is, well, you've not finished completely configuring these machines yet. So um, maybe you'd done something. Um, they're not back to how I had them before because I did a scorched earth on every one. But uh, no, it's not me. It's a change that Apple have made. So for me, text files are my main issue, but graphics such as JPEGs are a problem too, and PNGs are even worse. Why? What's the problem with PNGs? Well, PNGs are not all equal. Um, while they are a good file format to use because you get high quality and low file size, yeah, you also supports transparency, which of course JPEGs don't. Um, there are also very specific derivatives of the PNG file format, uh, which are very different in function. So, for instance, Adobe Fireworks uses the PNG file format for its native file format, and it extends the basic purpose to allow Photoshop to save within a PNG file layers, effects, vectors, masks, even up to multiple pages. And it saves all of those things in a PNG file. So what I've found is that all the files I create in Fireworks, when I double click them, previously they would open in Fireworks, it would know the difference. Now they're all opening in Preview. And all Preview gives me um, is a preview of the file. It gives me no indication of all the contents, it's just a flattened preview of it. So what options have you got to fix it? Um, there isn't a perfect one, to be honest. Um, you've got a few. You can go to the Get Info dialog, so Command and I on a file, and you can, in that dialog, assign a handler on a file-by-file -file basis. But that would mean every time I created a file, um, obviously I don't want to allocate all my PNGs to Fireworks, because Fireworks crashes regularly when I try and close it. But if I created the file in there, then I want it to open in there. So what I'd have to do is um, use the Get Info dialog, and allocate fireworks to open it on a file-by-file -file basis, which is just going to slow me down immensely. The second thing I could do is, assuming that I've navigated my way to the file, I could use a launcher to launch that file in a specific application. So, for example, I could get LaunchBar to grab the file and then select the app to open it with. Or I could right-click and select Open With. Um, hopefully, that what I want to open it with is available from that first um, set of options. If not, then I'm going to have to choose Other, and then I'm going to have to go and find the application. Again, slows you down greatly. Um, another thing I could do is I could add application icons to the Finder window and drag and drop the files to whichever application I wanted. Um, and in a similar principle, you could have um, all the applications in your dock and you could drag and drop the icons to the dock. 
Yeah, the first option that you mentioned does slow you down. I know I've tried it, uh, but I don't know how to get LaunchBar to do that. You mentioned LaunchBar. Yeah, what you do is you locate the file to be opened, um, click on it to select it. Then you use your selected shortcut key. Um, so for most people, it's command and spacebar. Um, you hold that for fractionally longer than normal. And what happens is it transfers the file to LaunchBar. If you then press tab, um, it tabs across and it gives you a list of applications. Now, it is all your applications, so you're going to have to scroll up or down or start typing the name of the required app. Uh, and once you've got the required app selected, you just press enter to open it. Mm, cool. The uh, drag and drop to a dock icon I've done, um, often with Pixelmator, where the app's already running and I don't want to use file open, but I've got to find a window on screen. Because the app's all over the screen, you've got lots of palettes, haven't you, rather than one single window. Uh, you can't just drop the file into the app, so I have been dropping uh, files onto the, the dock icon. But I've also had problems with a right click on things like RAF files, which are Fuji RAW for my camera. Um, when I right click, it offers me Photoshop, Pixelmator, Preview and Sketch. But out of those, uh, only Photoshop actually recognises that particular file type. The others give an error saying unrecognised format. So you'd, you'd at least think it would be clever enough to know what it can and can't open it with. Yeah, the right click and open with should be the fastest way to handle the issue. Um, but you know the trouble we've had. As you say, the apps listed um, often won't open the file. Um, you've got other apps that will, but they're only available via other. And it takes an age to load. And more applications you've got, the slower it works. Um, and the right click menu is just not as user configurable as it is in Windows. Um, you'll find old applications listed, applications you've uninstalled will still be listed, multiple copies of the same application. And my personal pet peeve is um, applications that are on other drives. Yeah, I right clicked on an AVI file and it offered me QuickTime Player and VLC, which is fine, but also Pixelmator. Um, and I did actually just to test it, try opening it with Pixelmator and five copies of Windows Media Player, which I'm guessing must be one from each virtual machine that I've got. Oh, yes, I'd forgotten the joy of the Windows apps from the VM being listed as well. Um, that was one of my main reasons for making the decision not to reinstall um, either Fusion or Parallels. I just couldn't cope with all the rubbish it put in there. Yeah, there is a way to clean up that right-click menu, though, isn't there? Yeah, we've talked about it before, but that was on uh, Tiger and Leopard, and I've found um, that my old tricks aren't working too well. Um, so I've had to change how I do it. Um, it's a two-step process. You've got to tidy up the menu first. So tidy up the mess. Uh, and then the second thing is you've got to keep it tidy somehow because you've got so little control over it that it will automatically start to repopulate the thing. Now, what I used to do under Tiger and Leopard was there was a terminal command. So uh, it was just a single line terminal command. Open the terminal, paste it in, press enter and you're done. Uh, I could not get that to work under Snow Leopard. Now, there used to be two different versions, one for Tiger and one for Leopard. So I'm assuming that the one for Leopard doesn't work under Snow Leopard. Um, I tried a few options. You know, we've talked about Tinker Tool, Onyx, Main Menu. Uh, none of those worked for me either. Now, this was pretty soon after I'd installed Snow Leopard. So maybe they've been updated. But the one that I found that did work was Cocktail. And the option that you need is an option to rebuild the launch services database. Now, that will sort it out um, at that point. 
But like I said, what will then happen is it will start looking around and any applications it finds, it has the habit of adding them back. So what I did then was um, I used the excellent Spotless from Fixamax software. And what you can do in that is actually turn the indexing off. Now, what I do is I turn the indexing off on my super duper drives. So I actually have two drives attached to my main machine. One has an image of Leopard on it, my old Leopard image, and the other has um, a continually updated super duper image of my current system. So that gets updated every day. So, of course, all the applications that are on my main system are replicated on both of those drives, really. So um, when you look at my right click, it can look horrendous. But what Spotless allows you to do is um, delete the index from those drives and turn the indexing off so it, it doesn't get recreated and hence they don't get added straight back because that's what would happen. Those, All the applications it could find would be added straight back into the launch services and you'd be back where you started. But it's long-winded. Yeah, I don't think any of these solutions are perfect, are they? No, because they're all either slower than how it worked previously or they require a lot of configuration. Um, you can't really have every app on your dock or every app in a toolbar on the Finder window. Um, if you've got more than a couple of file types that are causing you the problems, then those methods just won't work. Um, if you're not careful when you're rebuilding launch services as well, you might reset all the manual file associations. So you can, as we've said, right click, get your info up and in there manually assign um, a file type to an application or one particular file to an application. But in the launch services rebuild, there is a checkbox. Um, now, luckily, it's not checked by default, but if you're not sure what you're doing, you think, well, I'll just check everything. What that will do is it will wipe out all the manual associations that you've painstakingly created. So um, I didn't think that was uh, overly good either. I just wish they'd return it to the way that it was handled before. Yeah, but that wasn't without its issues. Sometimes uh, I'd double click a JPEG and it'd open in preview and sometimes Photoshop. Uh, at which point I'll either go and make a cup of tea or uh, I'd bum out of it because I don't really need the £800 uh, Photoshop Gorilla opening just to view a JPEG. True, there's no pleasing all the people all the time. Somewhat reminiscent of the tabs at the top or the tabs at the bottom debate with Safari. Mm, let's not go there. No, we best but, not. We'll only uh, upset Gaz. Yeah, I've got a similar issue uh, in a, a related area. I have um, some HTM files html files and i want to be able to look at them using quick look now when i use quick look when i just highlight a file in finder and hit the spacebar what i actually see is the output in other words what you'd see in a browser where i actually want to see the raw html code now i checked the get info on the file and i found that safari was set as the default handler and i thought that maybe that was the problem so i changed it to bb edit Tested it by double clicking and yeah, it opens up in BD, BB Edit, but Quick Look still gives me the output uh, and not the raw HTML. However, Quick Look does work the way I want with uh, PHP files, but with .asp files, it doesn't work at all. All I see is uh, when I hit the, the space bar, I just see like a, an icon that says ASP and I can't see the content at all. Now, I've had a similar thing with ASP files. Um... And another file type that I use for web development, which is ink files. And um, initially the ASP files were allocated to Dreamweaver and I just got the icon you're talking about. But then um, I, I set them elsewhere 
and I still had just an icon but then it wasn't a Dreamweaver, Dreamweaver icon it was a plain icon and then I noticed on certain ASP files I was getting a preview and on other ASP files I was not only getting a preview I was getting a coloured preview so um, it's just not consistent at all and it is amazing just how quickly I've come to rely on Quick Look. I certainly notice it's missing when I'm on a Tiger machine or, or um, a Windows machine and that I, I, I automatically just try and use it. So um, Yeah, many times I'll hit the spacebar on Windows and then wonder why it's not displayed a preview. Uh, sometimes it actually tries to rename the file as well so not great. It does. Anyway, talking a quick look, uh, I was reading this week about X-ray mode, which is a hidden feature that's not enabled by default and which can actually only be enabled through the terminal. Now, essentially, when X-ray mode is turned on, instead of seeing the regular folder icon in quick look, so this is quick look on a folder rather than a file, the folder icon will be semi-transparent with previews of the folder's contents visible inside the quick look window. The preview images will rotate automatically through each item in the folder. So if you've got, for example, a folder of, of 20, um, 20 JPEGs, then what you'll see is you'll see the blue folder icon, but just behind it, you will see little icons that represent each image and it will automatically flip each one to the front. And you can, if you look closely enough, see kind of a thumbnail of the image. Now to turn this on, you need to quit Finder using the activity monitor or terminal or, or any other way, then open the terminal and enter a command, which I'll put into the show notes. I actually tried it with a folder of photos. And as I say, you can just about see each image, but it is behind the folder icon. So I don't think it's really usable. Now I had a look at it on your machine uh, rather than fiddle with my own, but it's more of a gimmick, isn't it, than something useful? It is, yeah. And also, as long as you've turned that command on in the through the terminal, you also get the effect in the preview section. So when you right click and you go to get info and you look at that preview um, section, you see the you get the same effect. But I take your point. It is too small to actually be uh, that useful. I I had a problem as well um, with my uh, preview and this happened in everywhere that you would preview a file. So either in the command and I info window, um, the little thumbnail at the bottom or um, quick look or the finder view, you know, the, um, the cover flow view in finder. Um, and what was happening was instead of seeing the whole of my image, I was seeing just a tiny square out of the middle of my image. Now, it was something that had um, been on the machine since it was new, and I don't think I'd ever reinstalled um, Leopard on it. So um, it got to the point where I thought, oh, Snow Leopard's coming out soon, so I'll wait and uh, see what happens. Anyway, it seems to have fixed itself now. It was just obviously just one of those quirks, but I don't generally tinker around with it because I've seen what happens when it breaks, and it was um, incredibly annoying because all I'd get, my images of my um, digital SLR were so big that a one inch square um, piece out of the middle of it could be somebody's jumper and I would be none the wiser what the image looked like. And again, we've said how easy it is to get reliant on quick look. And now when it stops working, it is a major pain. It is, yeah. Whilst I was reading through the thread about the, um, the X-ray 
on uh, the website macos10hints.com, uh, it actually mentioned in this thread that um, this, this x-ray works for zip files, but I couldn't actually get that working. However, there was a link to a free app called Better Zip Quick Look Plugin. Now, I know we were talking uh, the other week about getting Quick Look working on zip files. And yeah, I was sure it worked with Stuff It Expander because yeah. I did not have anything else installed, but it's not working for me, for me now. No, not even the me. new version is working for me. So uh, this sounds good. Yeah, what I did, you download it, it's free. Download it, unzip it, and copy the file that gets unzipped to your Quick Look folder inside your library in your home folder. You might actually have to create a Quick Look folder, I did. Then uh, what you need to do is just wait a few minutes for the system to update and run a Quick Look on a zip file, and then it will display in the Quick Look window what's in the zip file. So folder structure, file name, date, size of each file, type of each file, and it will even give you the attributes. Brilliant. Um, mm. I've actually extended my Quick Look as well to handle other files. Um, I have an application called Sneak Peek Pro, and it gives me um, previews of all my Adobe file types. And not just, um, mainly I find that useful for InDesign and um, Illustrator files, but it doesn't just give you a, a quick preview of the, the contents of the file. Um, it also gives you information about the file size, the fonts used, the swatches, so uh, it's really useful. Now, there's also a new uh, plugin for Quick Look, which will give you more information about JPEGs as well. So I think that's something that we should have a look at as well. Yeah, definitely. And uh, another Snow Leopard annoyance uh, got fixed recently too. Funny thing was, you hadn't even noticed it was broken, had you? No, that, that dictionary thing you were going on about going on about it was broken <laughs> yes on tiger and leopard um the dictionary application that's built in it used to reuse the window so um you would open the dictionary type in your word uh, you could use the dictionary thesaurus uh, i think it even searches the web as well and wikipedia um and i navigate the whole thing with keyboard shortcuts so i never actually click anywhere in it the whole thing is really really good with shortcuts so um when i finished with it you well i command and q and it closes it down and on tiger and leopard it was fine on snow leopard what was happening was um, i'd open up the dictionary i'd use it and i'd use command and q to quit it but when it reopened um it reopened i i activate it with launch bar again. So I actually pass to it the word I'm querying um, via launch bar. So when it opens, instead of opening with um, a single window, it opens with a window with the word that you are currently querying. And behind that, there is the window that you last had open. So I'd noticed this thinking, oh, it didn't do that before. So I close the window and then close the other window and thought, hmm, strange anyway it kept doing it so obviously it's a feature cheers for that one um what i found was if i used command and w which is the shortcut key to close a window and it happened to be the last window that was open in the dictionary app it would actually quit the app as well which meant that when it i reopened it it was fine so it worked the old way but you wouldn't believe how quickly you get used to its command and q to quit um, so 
what I was having to try and remember was that for every other application, it's Command and Q to quit it, but for the dictionary app, make sure you Command and W. And then what I was finding was I was Command and Wing it to close the window and then trying to Command and quit it. And of course, if I did that, it quit the application that it had flicked back to. So it was really annoying. Yeah, that would be annoying, wouldn't it? Well, there's a fix. That usual terminal hack, but it's simple enough to implement. We'll add the actual uh, code to the show notes. Uh, my only gripe with it is, I think the dictionary app now takes longer to open than it did before. But I suppose that could be my imagination because I'm usually in a rush. But if you don't fancy the terminal hack, then um, what you can do is Command and W to close it and not Command and Q. Now, it doesn't sound like much to remember, you know, just use one shortcut instead of another. But trying to change the shortcut keys that you're used to is a nightmare, isn't it? Yeah, don't I know it. Uh, I was railroaded into uh, changing something that I've only just learned this week in terms of keyboard shortcuts. I know, and apologies for that, but it was needed and you will thank me in the long run. I need to explain this, don't I? Mm, yeah. Don't sulk. Um, yes, it was all to do with screen sharing uh, and the way that screen sharing key maps in Snow Leopard. Um, there have been much improvements to it. For example, you can now uh, use uh, the default shortcut keys to take um, screenshots. And what was happening before in Leopard and Tiger was when you were sharing a screen and you use those shortcut keys, it took screenshots of the machine that you were actually on and not the remote machine. But now those shortcut keys work remotely, which is great when I'm doing system admin stuff and I'm trying to take um, a shot of the screen to make sure you know, check what I've done later. So um, Command and Shift and 3 and Command and Shift and 4, which respectively um, take a screenshot of the whole screen um, or an area of it. And also Command Option Shift 3 and Command Option Shift 4, which uh, does exactly the same, but instead of creating a file, it copies it to your clipboard. They also work as well. But not all shortcut keys are passed to the remote machine. Now, what we'd done was um, I'd left command and spacebar alone. So that carried on um, as a default machine and it would activate spotlight. What I'd done for launch bar was use control and space. But what was happening was that didn't translate. So it wouldn't send control and space to the remote machine. What I did on the machines I mainly use remotely was uh, map instead of control and space to launch bar. I use control and L. But then I needed to remember two shortcut keys and it didn't work on Mike's anyway because he'd also mapped his to control and spacebar. So I'd actually have to access launch bar using the mouse, which was even worse. So the good news is that under Snow Leopard, command and spacebar does get sent to the remote machine. Um, but obviously that was um, set up to access Spotlight. So I needed a way to have a command and space activate launch bar and still be able to access Spotlight. So what I managed to do was uh, map command and spacebar inside launch bar to uh, activate launch bar. And if I need to access Spotlight, then I use option command and spacebar, which I have set up in launch bar. So really it's a case of going to the machine preferences and turning off all the access keys for Spotlight and setting the whole thing up in launch bar for me. Um, it was painful for a few days, but now at least all the machines work in the same way, whether you're on them remotely or locally. 
yeah, it was painful, uh, but I have got used to it now. Uh, and I've not forgiven you yet, but ScreenFlow played you, paid you back, didn't it, on my behalf? Oh, yeah, ScreenFlow. Now, I love ScreenFlow. I really do love it. It's a fantastic piece of software. But it's one of those activated pieces of software, which I don't like at all. So, as I've said previously, I always think very, very carefully about buying a piece of software that's activated because I'm always mindful of what will happen um, if a machine dies and I can't deactivate it. Or worse still, um, I have a, a machine sat there ready and a software key ready to put in and it won't activate. And that's exactly what happened. Um, I deactivated my screen flow on, on the machines I had it installed on. Um, and I had a clean install. I thought, right, I need to uh, activate this. So I put the key in and it won't have it. Um, it did contact the server, or it seemed to, so it tried to contact the activation server, and it wouldn't have it. And it wasn't giving me any kind of meaningful message either. That would have been too much to ask, wouldn't it? Um, so the message I was getting was something about a minus 2003 error or something, which didn't mean a thing to me. Now, obviously, be before I start screaming at support, um, I Google it to see if other people have got the problem. Uh, and yes, I wasn't on my own. There was at least one other person and it was in the ScreenFlow forums. Um, and what had happened with them was I think they must have at some point had this software activated and the activation had then stopped working. So uh, somebody from ScreenFlow uh, sent them um, a little application. They ran the application and it worked. It cured the problem. So I thought, OK, just need to get on to support. So, of course, I vented my spleen on Twitter before I got on to support. And then I got on to support and I got a message back saying, um, we will endeavour to contact you regarding, uh, you know, the, the ticket you've raised within 24 hours. I thought, hmm, 24 hours, subject to uh, time zone changes, of course, as well. Not really good enough when I'm sat there with a piece of software I've paid for and I can't activate. Uh, luckily, their Twitter presence was far more on the ball and I got a message back uh, asking me to DM them. So I did and um, they did attempt to help me. I pointed them to um, the information on their own forums and um, pretty much the upshot of it was they couldn't help me. Um, the difference was why it was working for some people and not me was the, the solution that they had in terms of they sent you this little application, you ran it and it cured the problem, only worked if the software was already activated. And obviously, if the software was already activated, I wouldn't have been screaming about the fact that it wouldn't activate. Um, so apart from that, they had no clue. Um, now, that was on Twitter. In the meanwhile, I hear back from um, the support on email who very kindly sent me a two-page eulogy about how to install a serial number in a piece of software. Stop tittering. Yes, I, I wasn't impressed with that at all. It literally told me, you know, press here, press there. This dialog box will come up, paste your serial number in, and you're done. If you've still got problems, you know, get back to us. And I thought, oh, for... well, I won't tell you what I thought. It wouldn't translate well. So, um... Not impressed with that at all. In the meanwhile, going backwards and forwards, and um, I'm thinking, well, they, they've known about this problem for a month and um, they've clearly not done anything about it for a month because what they were saying was they would need to release um, a point version to solve the problem. And in a month, they had not done that, so I wasn't impressed with that either. Um, so I'm still trying at this point. Uh, they've checked my serial numbers and said, uh, yes, I've got two serial numbers, and they've said that they're both fine. 
just that they won't activate, and they have no clue why. So I have a look at the application they've sent me, and um, I thought, well, you're on your own here, which I, I don't find acceptable. Um, there's nothing else that they could that the people themselves could actually do. Obviously, the developers could um, develop the thing in a different way, and you could take the activation out of it. That would be nice. But failing that, no, if it won't activate, it won't activate, and there's nothing that uh, they could do. So uh, I was left on my own devices, so I started hacking around. And luckily, I found a solution, obviously. Necessity, mother of invention. And what I found was um, the instructions they'd given me told me to delete the contents of some folders. So I dutifully went off and I, I did all that. And when I tried with the little application, it still didn't work. But I noticed that one of the folders that they were talking about, um, it didn't exist anyway. So I, there was nothing to delete because the folder wasn't there. Um, as that didn't work, I then thought, right, I think I potentially see a problem here. Maybe the software uh, on Snow Leopard in my case, it doesn't have the right to create a folder in that location. Now, it, I was installing under um, an admin account and it was the first account on the machine, so it's a super admin account. So there was no reason that the account was causing a problem and I'd repaired permissions and I'd rebooted and I'd done all of that several times, didn't make a difference. So what I did was I created a folder um, in the location that they told me that I should delete the contents of the folder. So I created this folder. Um, then I went through the process again and it worked. So I typed it all up for them and I sent it back to them. Uh, obviously other people must have that problem. Um, I did do a search on the error and like I said I wasn't the only one. If they had already activated it then this half a solution would work. If they had not activated it that would not work and uh, they did not have a cure for it. So I sent it back and uh, on Twitter I did get a little note back from them. Just seeing your, your, your solution. Brilliant. So um, I did get a brilliant for it but um, this is why I don't like activated software. I should not have to do that and just because I can do it doesn't mean everybody else can do it. So if anybody's having problems with that, let me know. And um, I, I know I should type it up for a blog post, but I'm incredibly busy at the minute. But I, I will try and get round to doing that. And um, roll on ScreenFlow 2. And I did mention that I hoped it wouldn't happen in ScreenFlow 2. So there you go. That was the best part of... Um, I think that took seven hours in total. By the time I'd fixed it, I'd forgotten what I wanted to record. So I called it a night then. <laughs> Ridiculous, really, isn't it? I know that's activated software, but I mean, this is what uh, on Twitter people coming back to me and saying, you know, wouldn't happen if you got a crack from somewhere, and they're quite right. And uh, was I tempted? Well, I was desperate to get the software working, and it's criminal. I actually legally own it, and I can't actually use it. But as people were saying, well, I'm sure all the people out there with cracks, they're fine. Theirs is working fine. So uh, that didn't give me any comfort at all. But what can you say? I don't like activated software to start with, and I think I have three, possibly four pieces of software that are activated, and that's it. And it does put me off buying. Um, not because I'm trying to put it on 27 machines. I'd just like it on the one I want it on, working, you know, if I don't have an internet connection. The last time I had problems with this, I was trying to deactivate. Um, and my internet connection was that bad, I couldn't deactivate, which meant I couldn't do a reinstall. So um, they don't think about these things. They really don't. But in better news, um, we don't have a software review, we have a hardware review. And um, this week we have new toys, new hardware toys at Matchbikes HQ. We have a power monkey, or as Mike calls it... A monkey charger. 
Yes, hopefully you're not trying to charge monkeys with it. Um, so, what does it look like? Well, what, what is it and what does it look like? Should, should we do the what it looks like first? Mm. <laughs> yes, it's quite difficult to explain. It's, um, do you remember the toys of an adult nature? I do. It sort of looks like one of those, and I opted for black. Let's say all it needs is a Max Bikes thong to use as a case and it'd be perfect. Mm, don't go there. No, better not. No, better not. Oh, what a mental image. Poor Minster's just brought his lunch back, you know. Anyway, it is, um, said Power Monkey is a portable power unit. So uh, what you do with it is you can charge it from the mains or you can charge it via USB. So if you actually need to charge the power unit, um, you can do that on the road from your laptop, which is quite cool. Um, I did it on the mains um, and it was pretty quick. And what you then do with it is you carry it around with you and it holds sufficient uh, of a charge to be able to recharge your iPhone or your iPod four times while you're out on the road before it itself needs recharging. Um, it's not just limited to iPhones or iPods either. Um, it comes with, in the box, with this said device, um, a whole range of other adapters. Ooh, uh... Stop sniggering again. Yeah, so it can work with Sony, Ericsson, Nokia, um, all sorts of other things. It's even got a, a very tiny um, USB connector. So you can charge a range of devices with it. Um, I opted for that one rather than um, some of the others that are dedicated to the iPhone or iPod. I'm um, just for the flexibility of, of it. Maybe, you know, maybe I would need to charge um, my my cheapy other mobile phone that I have. So um, it would charge that as well. Um, it works great. Uh, it charged from flat in about four hours and it charges the device pretty quickly, too. Um, I haven't actually timed that, though. So it was great for me with my battery running down all the time uh, due to my growls on the prowl. Now, it's not as integrated as the Morphe Juice Pack, uh, but then it doesn't add bulk to the phone when you're not using it. So you really only use it for charging on the road. Um, good thing with it is that once you plug it in, if, you, if you're reaching the point of no return with your phone, as soon as you plug it in, it's just the same as plugging the phone into your computer or into um, a wall socket. So you can immediately start using it uh, while it's charging. So and the other thing is, I thought it was very cost effective. Uh, Morphe Juice Pack is quite expensive given the price of the phone. And uh, this device is only £35, which includes the VAT and the postage. And the postage was very fast. I think it took two days. So um, I can highly recommend that. Um, as I say, I got it really just so because my phone does tend to run down. Possibly I, I use it a little bit too much. Uh, and I did turn my growls on the prowl off and... Um, the battery life increased immensely. Some days I, I, I didn't charge it for three days. Um, but once I put my growls on the prowl back, it started dying rather quickly again. So um, very, very handy to have with you. Doesn't take up that much room. Um, and if you can charge it four times as well, you're not constantly charging up the device as well. So um, a power monkey will put a link to uh, their site. I think I got mine from the manufacturer. And um, I thought it was a very high quality device as well. Ships in a nice box and uh, it feels nice. So um, not, not cheap and nasty. Do not stick. You're snickering. I was just thinking about monkey charges. No, you're just thinking it feels nice, but, but get over it. Right. So uh, I can highly recommend that. And I know you want one now, don't you? I do. Have you got some I monkeys don't. to charge? 
Anyway, we couldn't let the week go by without a quick mention for BusyCal. Uh, version 1's now been released, so congratulations to the guys at uh, BusyMac. And don't forget you can get 20% off the total of your bill if you uh, go and buy a copy or multiple copies by using the MacBytes coupon code when you purchase via their website. Yep, we did say that that was uh, only good to the end of September, but they've extended it for us for a little bit. So uh, if you missed out and you thought you'd missed out, go to um, BusyCal.com and um, try using a coupon code and uh, save some money. Anyway, feedback and comments. We have actually had lots of feedback over the last two weeks, um, mainly asking where we were. So it was good to know that we were missed. So thank you for all the messages, all the posts, all the tweets. Um, they are, we are most grateful to hear from you. It's been great to hear from you guys. But sadly, that is it for this episode of MacBytes. We would love to hear from you. Now we're back. So tell us what you think. So uh, send your questions, comments, queries to MacBytesUK at gmail.com or send us an audio file. And uh, you can also contact us on the contact form on the website at macbytes.co.uk. Uh, you can uh, also follow us on Twitter. So twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. But until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you Macbytes. Goodbye and see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>